We are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Jordan. Happy days. Happy-ish. Happy days. Okay. Episode 20, Eileen Warnos. She's a, she's a piece of work. She's the damsel of death. Uh-huh. Or the hooker from hell. Hooker from hell. <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't rope you in, I don't know what will. Mm-mm, nothing. Nothing yeah, will. I'll really answer it for you. That's what. Nothing. Gets the people going. Yeah. Before we get into Miss Eileen Warnos. That hooker. From hell. From hell. <laughs> Let's talk about some business. Well, first off, how are you doing? I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm doing. Yeah, me too. I'm kind of, I'm just living. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not as aggressive as I was last episode. Yeah. Which is good. I'm still not like loosey-goosey. Okay. But it could be worse. Okay. I don't know. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do I mean? What do you mean? mean you're not as aggressive? So you're still aggressive. I'm always aggressive. Word. But last episode, I really was aggressive. Yeah, I was feeling it. I was bringing you down, though. You were. You're welcome. So now it's my That's turn. That's a free therapy session. I'm going to bring you down. Yeah, I'm fine. Bring you down a notch. I'm a little drunk at 3 o'clock on Sunday. Yeah, he's drank about four Rhine guys. Let's party. I'm drinking water pretty heavy. Sunday fun day. <laughs> but uh, we're going to get through this, people. Oh, yeah. So, how many downloads are we at? 5.7 thousand. Woo-wee. Pretty fucking well. We're about to hit 6,000. That's it. That's what comes after five. Last that time is. I checked. I yeah. don't know. Well. If my math's correct, it's six. I'm not a mathematician, <laughs> though, so somebody better check me. That's pretty mind-blowing, though. Yeah. 6,000. Well, last episode, we were at four, 5.2. Mm. So we had six, five? Five, nice. 5,000, <laughs> no. 500. 500. You, you are not good at math. You did not lie. No, but it sounds better whenever I talk about it, if you just let me go. <laughs> we had five million people <laughs> listen to this last episode. <laughs> well... Cause I'm like I'm that way. Like if somebody would talk to me in math, like I had five hundred thousand million things, I'd be like, oh my god, that's amazing! That's I would, so many things. That whole like <laughs> I wouldn't fact check it. It'd just be like you said it. I trust you. <laughs> so that's cool. That um, cool. I do want to thank some folks. Yes, we got some thanking to do. We do. Megan, Gina, Tom, and Alex. Thank you so much uh, for ordering some goodies from our store. Yeah. Ladyship is fucking booming. Ladyship. People love Ladyship. People love it. And you thought it was stupid. Calling back to the Elizabeth, wow, Elizabeth Ooh, Bathory episode. It's a little uh, slurry. We're going to get through it. So, yeah. So, thank you. That's awesome. Check out Mystery History Podcast for all of our merchandise. Jordan added some other stuff. We have a blanket now. I don't know if I told you that. It looks very plush. Yeah, it's like a plush blanket. It just has our logo fucking huge on it. Huge. And you know what's going to be happening soon? Winter. Yeah. And you know what people like to do in winter? Sleep. With blankets. With blankets. <laughs> With our logo on it. And I could also put a beanbag chair on there. Oh! <gasps> if that's something you guys would be oh, into. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's real expensive. That's like 70 bucks because it's that's like the lot. entire beanbag chair. That's I'm sure the shipping sweet. is not <laughs> cheap on a beanbag. I don't chair. know though. That may be a good gift for Evie. I can make it like uh, she'd hate it instead she'd of just like, a big logo. I can make it like a pattern where it's like a bunch of little logos. <gasps> like, yeah, it'd be pretty oh sick. Oh my! Yeah, I want to see what this thing looks like. I'll show it to you. I know you just gonna put it on the stuff. Mockups. All right, that's fine. I can do that. Anybody wants a beanbag chair? We got it. You can be. You can listen. You can get a fucking blanket, a beanbag chair, and just a podcast and. Oh. Yeah. <gasps> Be so comfy. You can get a decorative pillow. And a pillow, man. For your beanbag chair. All the comfort. Yeah. So that's pretty sweet. I'm looking <laughs> forward to that. Okay. Uh, also on our website, we have our Patreon mm-hmm. uh, and all of our episodes. Yep. Our whole catalog and yep, our store, all that stuff. Yep. So go check it out. Check, check, check. Check it out. Fred Durst. <laughs> Dang it. My way or the highway. <laughs> Got to get that flat bill down covering your eyebrows. <laughs> okay. So we got an email. Mm-hmm. You know how much I love them. Rachel Doolin. And she says, hey. And I said. Good start. Hey. Solid hey, start. girl. 
She said, I was going to send this on Insta, but send an email instead just for Allie. That makes my heart melt. Can I just <laughs> tell you that? Thank you so much. I feel so much more officialer. Mm. With wow, an, that's not a with word an e- at With all. an email. Officialer. It, officialer. Not a word, but I it feel is. it. You know what I mean. Huh? She said, just wanted to let you guys know how much I enjoy the podcast. I got my sister listening, too. The banter between you both is great, and the podcast is my happy place when the world has lost its collective mind. Keep up what you're doing. I tell everyone I know about the pod. Stay safe in this crazy world. Rachel from New Mexico. Rachel. Amazing. That makes my heart just, like, swell, like Mm. the Grinch. You know how it's small, and then it like got to be too big. Yeah, the fact that our voices are your happy place kind of worries me about you a little bit, but at the same time <laughs> makes me feel very like yeah. I'm glad honored. we can bring you some kind of peace. Yes, so thank you so much for that. That was so sweet. Made mm-hmm. my day. Yeah, that was amazing. Uh, thank you to Hannah. She sent us a note on Instagram. She was kind of throwing out some topic ideas for us. We really appreciate her giving us her feedback. Yep. We love to hear it. So yeah, send wanna, us more. We want to know what you want to hear about. Yeah. We want to talk about what you want to hear. Right. So, yeah. We um, like interacting with you guys. Yeah. Send us every, uh, whatever. We'll Craziest talk about thing whatever. Craziest thing you think about. Yep. Is the earth flat? Send me a message. Who knows? We'll talk about it. Maybe. Doubt it, but Doubt maybe. It. Hmm, don't send me that. Just kidding. <laughs> No, just kidding. Send it to me. Okay. We are so honored. Jordan and I did something right before we recorded this Mm -hmm. that we've never done before. Nope. We got interviewed. Yeah. First interview. First interview. Pretty famous. You know? So, um, Armchair Historians on Apple Podcasts. Anne-Marie reached out to us and wanted to do an interview. Uh, So she goes to different podcasts and interviews people on their favorite time of history. Mm -hmm. So it was very cool that she reached out to us. It was. It was a really cool experience. We talked about the Radium Girls. Yes, the Radium Girls, episode six. Yes. If you haven't listened to that, go back. Uh, She's a one-man band, Mm -hmm. so she's about four episodes, or she's got four episodes before ours will air Mm -hmm. we're looking at probably about october um but we'll let you know on our instagram when that will take place yep definitely so that was very very cool she's an awesome lady yeah she was very interesting to talk to yes she's in a couple documentaries and she's written a few books and it's just very she's way smarter than us yeah she's very smart (laughs) but we also she um does she lives in colorado and she does uh ghost historical tours and uh, she's had some ghostly experiences so perhaps we will interview her mm-hmm. sometime soon on her experiences so that's very cool definitely um we want to give back to our community here yep. at mystery history podcast which is dayton ohio mm-hmm. the gem city the gem city i don't know why we're the gem city because we're gemming it dude gemming it gemming it we're just gemming it dude that's what that's why are you making it up? Yep. thousand percent. <laughs> You're very confident. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> I try my best. Didn't really make sense, but you almost had me. Gemini. We need a t-shirt of that now. Gemini. You said Gemini. Okay. That'd be a good shirt. Let's do and that. We'll put a I... diamond on there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, since we're the Gemini city, <laughs> we are going to do a local shout out on every episode just to kind of, you know, a lot of businesses were hurt due to this COVID business um, and we want to showcase some of the people in our community um, for our local listeners or maybe if you're visiting the area to go check out. Mm-hmm. This week, it's going to be Mike's Vintage Toys in the Oregon District. Yep. George, you want to talk more about that? Yeah. Oh, I've just driven by there a few times and they seem like really, they have really cool stuff in there. So they're open 12 to 6 Tuesday to Saturday and 12 to 5 on Sunday. And next week um, on... Friday, September 4th, and Saturday, September 5th, there's going to be a sidewalk sale in the Oregon District. Mm. So just go re- go down there and see what's going on if you're in the Dayton area or surrounding areas. Yeah. yeah, buy some stuff from those folks. They work really hard. They do, yep. That's pretty, yeah. Especially something like this, it's like, it's a very niche market. Yeah. So it's like, it's really cool that somebody can have their own business and do, live their dream, basically. It's yeah. really cool. So we want to give back to them and just say, you're doing a great job and keep doing your thing. Yep. So Mike's Vintage Toys, everybody. Yep. 
What else you got to talk about business-wise? Uh, nothing really. I mean, we talked about the store, uh, Um, Nothing really. We're in over 40 countries now, which is amazing. 40. Over 40. Over 40. We're past 40. How many are in the world? Fucking I feel like a, I asked this last time. A lot. Let me see. That's a good question. Bear with us. Banter, banter, banter. Computing? Computing? Computing. Oh, I just put how many computers are in the world. That's a lot more than countries. <laughs> how many countries are there? Let's see. There are 195, and we're in over 40 of them. That's a pretty good percentage. So Not that's really. about 25%. Oh. That's mm. almost 25% of all the countries in the world we're in. Whoa. Yeah. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> International. Fucking What's wild. Up? We don't know nothing. Nope. People are listening. So I wonder how that works. Like, is there a button to translate? Nope. No? <laughs> I mean, I don't think so. I'm just thinking. How they do just, they know what they we're saying? They probably speak English. Just because they're in the country doesn't mean they don't speak English. Mm. They could be like Americans traveling to a certain place. It just picks up the feed, like wherever you're at is where it shows up you're listening to it from. Yeah. I don't know. I'd like to think that a lot of people that don't understand what we're saying are listening. I don't know, but they sound happy. They learn English just so we can understand Mystery History <laughs> Podcast. Yeah, super interesting. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I guess you want to get into this hooker from hail? I guess. Okay. Poor Eileen. Mm-hmm. Poor Eileen. You want to talk about her early life? Let's get to know her. Good to know this hooker. This hooker from hell. So she was born Eileen Carol Pittman on February 29th, 1956 in Rochester, Michigan. Her parents, Dale Pittman, who was 16, and Diane Wernos, who was 14, had separated before she was born, and she would never meet her father, who spent a lot of time in and out of mental hospitals for child molestation. Thank God she didn't meet him. So yeah, already not great. No. Dale committed suicide by hanging in prison on January 30th, 1969. Wernos had one brother, Keith, who spent, or who was almost one year older than her. When Eileen was four, her and her brother were adopted by their biological grandparents, Lori and Britta Wernos. Lori and Britta kept uh, the secret from Eileen and Keith that they were grandparents and they acted like her real parents. Can we just say, can we just talk about this one second? She had a brother. Yes. Her parents were 16 and 14 when she was born. Yes. So that means whenever Keith was born, they were 15 and 13. 13, yeah. Whoa. That's like right on the precipice of being she able to have... She just started her period. Yeah. Like, Way to go, Dale. That's pretty... That's all... Well, that means her grandparents were probably only 30-ish. Yeah. So, I mean... They were young. That was really... I don't know. For them to just keep that secret and say where your parents is pretty amazing. Yeah. To me. But that's just crazy. Yeah. Eileen and Keith dodged uh, one abusive bullet, but was right in the crossfire of a new abusive relationship. Lori, the grandpa, was an extremely physical, physically and sexually abusive parent, while Britta was an abusive alcoholic. Not good. By age 11, Eileen was doing sexual favors in school for cigarettes, drugs, and food. When Eileen was 12, they found out the truth about their identities. She claimed that she was sexually abused by Lori and her brother at a very young age. She was pregnant at age 14 and claimed Keith was the father. She was sent to a home for unwed mothers. March 23, 1971, she gave birth to a baby boy who was an Im- immediately given up for adoption. Like, she didn't have a choice either. Like, they didn't ask her if she wanted to keep this baby. They just took they it just and gave it. They just took it. Yeah, that's pretty. That's, ugh. And to know, like... That you have a, a child out there in the world mm-hmm. that you never knew. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Especially if you didn't make that choice yourself. Yeah, that'd be super hard. Um, Eileen returned to her grandparents, and soon after, Britta died of liver failure from her drinking. Lori did not want anything to do with Keith and Eileen after her death, and they became wards of the state. By the end of 1971, Eileen had ran away from her foster homes and started hitchhiking, hitchhiking prostituting, and stealing. So she learned all that stuff at a very young Yeah, it's kind of like those, uh, it's like, what are you going to do? I mean, that's not obviously the <laughs> right thing to do, but it's like, if you have to survive, you're going to figure it out. Yeah. And whenever you're that young, you're like, what else can I really do? 
Well, and I think, too, from a young age, since she was sexually abused, sex to her wasn't, like, a big deal. It was just something that she could use to get stuff. Yeah. So for her, she used what she knew would get her stuff, so. Yeah, that's messed up, but yeah. It is. Okay. So it's kind of all downhill from here. I mean, not that it was really great. Yeah, kind of start off low and it gets lower. Yeah. So in, in 1976, Eileen had hitchhiked to Florida, uh, all the way from Michigan. That's pretty freaking far. Yeah. Uh, where she met a 69-year-old yacht club president, Louis Gratzfell. Hmm. Not separate. They're separate words. So I didn't <laughs> screw that up. Louis Gratzfell. Yep. They married quickly. But Eileen was constantly getting into fights at the local bar, and she went to jail for assault. She would also abuse Fell, this poor 69-year-old. The final straw for him came whenever she actually hit him with his own cane. So he got a restraining order against her uh, just a few weeks after their wedding. So it wasn't like there was no honeymoon phase. Yeah. She just started beating the shit out of him. Straight into the shit, yeah. She decided to go back to Michigan, and on July 14th, 1976, she was arrest, uh, arrested and charged with assault and disturbing the peace for throwing a cue ball at a bartender's head. Yeah, that's that would probably kill someone. Usually frowned upon. I don't think it would kill them, but it would... I mean, you have to have pretty good aim. Hurting. Unless they got a big old head. Ugh. I, yeah, I couldn't imagine Ugh. how bad that would hurt, but yeah. yeah. So Eileen and Fell annulled their marriage after only nine weeks. Mm. July 17, 17, or 1976, her brother Keith dies from esophageal cancer and his $10,000 life insurance policy is given to Eileen. In August 1976, Eileen was given a $105 fine for drunk driving. That's pretty cheap. That is really cheap. Um, it's a drop in the bucket when you got 10 grand set there. Right. That's, Who cares? Um, she used the inherited money from her brother to pay the fine and spent the next two months buying things she normally wouldn't be able to afford, including a new car that she soon wrecked after buying. Probably because she was drunk. Yeah, shocker there. Mm. May 20th, 1981, Eileen is arrested in Edgewater, Florida for armed robbery of a convenience store where she was, uh, she was able to steal $35 and two packs of cigarettes. She was sentenced to prison on May 4th, 1982. And stayed there a little more than a year, being released on July 30th, 1983. So obviously she didn't do well with the money if she's robbing a convenience store for $35. Yes, and cigarettes. Yeah. It's gone. It's gone. And she obviously didn't learn her lesson because on May 1st, 1984, she was arrested for trying to cash a forged check in Key West. No good. Nope. On November 30th, 1985, she was a suspect in the theft of a gun and ammo in Pascal County. Pascal County. Pascal. Um, June 4th, 1986, Eileen was arrested in Miami and charged with car theft, resisting arrest, and obstruction of justice for providing identification with her aunt's name on it. Hmm. No good either. Also illegal. Yes. (laughs) Police found a 38 caliber revolver and a box of ammo in the stolen car. On June 2nd, 1986, Volusia mm. County Sheriff's held Warnos for questioning after a John, which we all know what a John is, right? Mm. Yep. She was trying to have sexy time with him. For monies. For monies. Accused her of pulling a gun on him in his car and demanded $200. I mean, you know, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> Warnos was found to be carrying spare ammo, and police discovered a twenty-two pistol under the passenger seat she was sitting in. So it appears she was ready to do it. Yeah. Um, around the same time, Eileen met Ty. Ty. It looks like Tyria, but it's Tyra. Tyra. Tyra Moore at a day. day wow. Daytona Beach lesbian bar. <laughs> That's a mouthful. <laughs> um, Warnos was known in all the bars as Lee. Tyra and Eileen got a hotel room together and did not, didn't come out the whole weekend. They were doing it. They were doing it. All night long, all night. <laughs> Ever since then, they were always together. Lee supported them um, with her prostitute money, and Tyra did not know she was prostituting herself. And when she found out, she asked her to stop, but she never did. Nope. But she liked the money. She did. It's a real juxtaposition there. Mm, big word. Yeah. On July 4th, 1987, Daytona police detained Lee and Tyra at a bar for 
questioning regarding an incident in which they were accused of assault and battery with a beer bottle, which is not surprising. They were just assaulting everybody. Yeah. They're, anytime when they're in a bar, somebody's getting assaulted. Yeah, can't with play, whatever. Can't play a pool peacefully. <laughs> no. Can't drink a beer peacefully. <laughs> On March 12th, 1998, Pornos accused a Daytona bus driver of assault and claimed he had pushed her off the bus following an argument. Tyra was listed as a witness to the incident. Mm-hmm. Mm. So then things get worse still. You thought you hit rock bottom, but there's still more room to go. Yeah. Okay. We're going to talk about some of these murders. Mm. So <laughs> Eileen murdered seven men total within a period of 12 months. Okay. Richard Charles Mallory was 51. Uh, he owned an electric, uh, electric, electronics uh, store, store in Clearwater. Warnos's first victim, uh, who was a convicted rapist, and she claimed that he she killed him for self self defense. Um, Warnos claimed she was sodomized, sodomized, what sodomized, <laughs> and brutally beaten after being driven to an abandoned area for sexual requests. Stop I laughing. Anybody's ever put that in the song. <laughs> <laughs> they don't sing this shit on Sesame Street, okay? No, I didn't hear that one. I missed that episode. <laughs> uh, yeah. Two days later, a Volusia County de- deputy sheriff found Mallory's abandoned vehicle. On December 13th, his body was found several miles away in a wooden area. He'd been shot several times. Two bullets to the left lung were found to have been the cause of his death. That'll do it. So this, I, I feel... I don't know this to be true, but I'm just telling you how I feel. I feel like this is true. That Look, first one? Yes. Her story. I feel like she was assaulted mm-hmm. and she did kill him because she was afraid for her own life. Okay? Okay. Now these other ones, meh. Maybe she liked it. Maybe she got a taste for blood. Hmm. So the second one is David Andrew Spears, who was 47. He was a construction worker in Winter Garden. He was declared missing as of May 19th, 1990. On June 1st, 1990, his naked body was found along U.S. Route 19 in Florida in Citrus County. He had been shot six times by a 22 caliber pistol. Mm. So that's, as we know, she has a 22 caliber pistol. Yes, because it was found with her. It was. Charles Edmund Karskadden. Yeah? That sounds right, yep. Karskadden. He was... 40. Um, he was a part-time rodeo worker. Mm. On June 6, 1990, his body was found in Pasco County. He'd been shot nine times with a 20 caliber weapon. The body had been wrapped in an electrical blanket, and the body was decomposing Oof. badly. Witnesses saw Wernos in possession of Karskadon's car, and Wernos had also pawned a gun that seemed to be his. The next one is Peter Abraham Seams, who was 65. He was a retar- retired merchant seaman. And in June of 1990, Seams left Jupiter, Florida for Arkansas. On July 4th, 1990, his car was found in Orange Springs, Florida. Lee had taken it and was using it to drive her and Tyra around. They were seen abandoning the car, and Wernos, uh, her palm print was found on the interior door handle. And his body was never found. Troy Eugene Burris. He was 50. A sausage salesman Mm. from Okala. On June 31st, 1990, he was reported missing. On August 4th, 1990, his body was found in a wooded area along State Route 19 in Marion County. He'd been shot twice. Charles Richard Dick Humphreys was 56. On September 11th, 1990, uh, he was a retired U.S. Air Force major, former state child abuse investigator, and former chief of police. On September 12th, 1990, his body was found in Marion County. He was fully clothed and shot six times in the head and torso. His car was found in Suwanee County. The last victim was Walter Gino Antonio. He was 62. He was a trucker, a security guard, and a police reservist. On November 19, 1990, Antonio's nearly naked body was found near a remote lodging, I'm sorry, logging road in Dixie County. He'd been shot four times. Five days later, his car was found in Brevard County. 
So that's the seven. Man. Yes. So they're all older gentlemen. All older gentlemen. And as we know from To Catch a Predator, just because these people are former chief of polices, it doesn't mean anything. They can still get down and dirty. Yeah. Everybody's capable of doing bad things. Yep. So the capture. On July 4th, 1990, Ronos and Moore were driving Seam's car, um, and it was involved in an accident. As discussed earlier, they abandoned the car, and witnesses to the accident provided police with their names and descriptions. Police found some of the victim's belongings in pawn shops and retrieved fingerprints matching those found on the victim's cars. Lee had a criminal record in Florida, and her fingerprints were on file. On January 9th, 1991, Lee was arrested for an outstanding warrant at the last resort, a biker bar in Volusia County. Police found Tyre the next day in Scranton, Pennsylvania. She agreed to coax a confession from Lee in exchange for immunity. Which is shitty. Yeah, it's pretty shitty. So, okay. Lee, her whole life, Mm -hmm. has been screwed over, literally and figuratively, by everyone. Yeah. Now she's got Tyra, Mm -hmm. who she absolutely adores, them against the world, and now... You've got her willing to coax a confection from Lee. Now, I think that Tyra is a little bit of a liar. And I think that she wants to say that, oh, I didn't know she was prostituting until I found out. Where do you think all this money's coming from, Tyra? Yeah, just showing up out of nowhere. Where do you think she's getting these cars that you're driving around in? Like, come on. Right. Come on. So you're going to hang her out to dry to save your own ass. Which is shitty. Yeah. Um, so, Moore returned with the police to Florida, where they put her up in a hotel. And under police surveillance, she made several calls to Lee, um, begging for help and clearing her name. Three days later, on January 16th, 1991, Lee confessed to the murders. She claimed that the men had tried to rape her and she killed them in self-defense. So, she got what she wanted. Yep. So, the sentencing. One year later, on January 14th, 1992, Lee went to trial for the murder of Mallory. January 27th, 1992, Lee was convicted of Mallory's murder with the help of Moore's testimony. Lee felt utterly betrayed by Tyra, but never stopped loving her. Yeah. She just, Which is sad, kind of. Yeah, because you can, you can watch a lot of their, this stuff, like the trial... On YouTube, they have a bunch of stuff. And you can just see her, like, totally having to watch Tyra up there on the stand just railroading her. Mm. And you can see her face. Like, I really feel at that point she'd been screwed by everybody and she was just ready to give up. Yeah. And be like, whatever. Yeah, that's rough. Um, After sentencing, psychiatrists for the defense testified that Warnos was mentally unstable and had been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. Four days later, though, she was sentenced to death. So they don't cur. No. She still did awful, awful things. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, you can't. It's one thing maybe if it happened once. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's, if it's a re- repetition. But you of, did it seven yeah. times. So it's not like you were just out of your mind for a year. Yeah, that was an accident seven times. <laughs> yeah, my bad. Um, on March 31st, 1992, she pleaded no contest to the murders of Humphreys, Burris, and Spears, saying that she wanted to get right with God. In her statement to the court, she said, I wanted to confess to you that Richard Mallory did violently rape me, as I've told you, but the others did not. They only began to start, too. So they didn't get that far. She didn't let them. Yeah. Um, And I can't, I mean, (laughs) she says, I watched some of the documentary, and some of it makes sense and some of it doesn't. So she said, I only killed seven men. I only killed seven out of a year. Think of how many guys I came into contact with over that year. Why would I have only chose those seven? Well, she, yeah, she might have had like flashbacks kind of of like if, if Mallory was doing something a certain way and then those other guys started to do it the Mm -hmm. same way. It's like, 
they might have not had like bad intentions, right? But she just like was had reacting. some post traumatic stress yeah. or something. So with she's it. like, I'm, that's not happening again. So yeah. She just, or I mean, or it could be more of a Mallory probably did try to. to well, he did. Yeah. Get get some of it, um, but then she killed him, and she realized how easy it was. Maybe it was more of an opportunity thing. Like after three months of stealing all his money, they needed more, so they had to get another one. You know, there are many right. different ways you could look at this. Yeah, I would like to believe that it was like you said, kind of like a post traumatic stress thing. Yeah. Um, and then the opportunity for money and cars just was a bonus. Yeah. I mean, that would make sense, but it's also like, it's hard to rationalize with somebody that's obviously not in a good state of mind. Right. Like they've never been really. So it's, yep. it's hard to tell what they're thinking in a moment. So let me talk about these next two things and then I'll let you discuss. But these two people... I got to tell you, are pieces of human garbage, okay? In the midst of all of this stuff that's going on with her um, her trial, she fires her public defender, who wasn't obviously doing a very good job anyway. Uh, but she hires Steve Glazer. We will talk about the documentary that was performed and, and that you can view, but you guys need to watch this to see how big of a complete idiot and asshole this guy is. He is like he there's a video of him driving to court to see if Eileen is sentenced, has another death sentence. And he's like freaking singing like, oh, I just wish she'd plead guilty because then we could be done. Like just Jesus. stupid, stupid. He's stupid. And then not only does she have the worst lawyer ever made, but now she starts chatting with this woman named Arlene. Praley, so Eileen and Arlene, um, she's, Arlene is pretty much like a child of God and wants to save her soul and blah de blah blah So um, Eileen gives permission for Arlene to adopt her hmm. while Arlene is not very much older than, than Lee is. Right. Um, I believe, this is just, again, my personal opinion, I believe that she found Glazer, and then Glazer went to Praley and said, okay, look, this is going to be a gold mine. We can get all of this money because they want to make a documentary. They want to make a movie. They want to make books. We can capitalize on this. And got Praley involved. So they started, while they were doing this documentary, they started demanding they needed $10,000 each to do an interview for this mm. documentary. Yeah. So I feel really bad because I feel like Lee really thought Arlene was coming from a good place and wanted, Arlene said how she wanted her to feel the love of a mother because she never felt that before. And really these two people are just preying on her. Right. Um, and it's mentioned in the documentary that we'll talk about that I guess both Glazer and Arlene gave Lee instructions on how she could commit suicide in jail. Jesus. So terrible, she's terrible. She's kind of, I mean, it's not okay what she did, but she's had a very hard life. Just like she's been passed around by yeah. people and like she can't trust anybody because the person she loved like. Screwed her. Yeah. And then, you know, all these people that even, even though she's putting herself in that position with prostituting, I feel like she would feel like she was just there to be used and then thrown away. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what these two people are doing to her and what has been happening to her her whole life. Yeah. Her mother and father didn't want her. Her grandparents didn't want her and they treated her like shit. I mean, it's just, it's a lot. Yeah, it's pretty. Not, not saying what she did was right, but you gotta, you gotta look at some of this shit too. Yeah, that's not a coincidence. No, it's, yeah, it could possibly be a reaction to her life, mm -hmm. nature versus nurture type thing. She right. was just she was born and bred to be. She was put in the situation a predator yeah. because she. It's either you or me. Mm -hmm. Okay, sorry. I'll get off my soapbox now. I'm very passionate. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's very messed up when you, like, stop. At the, on the surface, that's very black and white. But the right. more you get into it, it's very gray. Um, 
So in June 1992, Wernos pleaded guilty to the murder of, uh, of Karkskadone. In November 1992, she refer- received her fifth death sentence. The defense tried to show evidence that Mallory had been tried with intent to commit rape in Maryland and that he had been sent to a max security correctional facility that provided re- uh, remediation to sexual offenders. I just want you to know, <clears throat> for the people, in my notes it says sexy offenders. <laughs> Very different things. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't sexy, okay? Yeah, they are sexual. <laughs> Records from that facility said that from 1958 to 1962, Mallory was committed for treatment and observation for a sexual charge with intent to rape and received eight years of treatment at the facility. The judge refused to allow this new evidence and denied a request for retrial. Which is bullshit. This is relevant. That's relevant. That's pretty relevant, yeah. At least not... Even if she got life sentences for all the other ones... At least make it right. She didn't do that to Mallory. But I mean, at that point, what does it yeah, matter? Whatever. Say, what's the, but still. She got to die. She has to survive four death sentences before this. <laughs> True. So this one even makes sense. But in February 1993, Ronos pleaded guilty to the murder of Antonio and was sentenced to death again. No charges were brought against her for the murder of Seams as his body was never found. She received six death sentences. And after she her sentences were read, she replied she hoped the judge's wife's and kids were raped. Rough. Not smart, maybe. Maybe no. that's why she didn't get her appeals. <laughs> but, I mean, at that point, what's You're the... so angry, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. So we're going to talk about her life on death row. She was incarcerated at Florida Department of Corrections Broward Correctional Institute, also known as the BCI, because that is a lot of fucking words. Okay? It's <laughs> a lot of letters. She, she was on death row for women. Then she was transferred to Florida State Prison for her execution. During uh, Her appeal to the Supreme Court was denied, which is bullshit, and in 1996. And then in 2001, she was just over it. Okay, so she dismissed her legal counsel, terminated all of her pending appeals, and she just said she killed those men. I robbed them as cold as ice, and I'd do it again. There's no chance in keeping me alive or anything because I'd kill again. I have hate crawling through my system. I'm so sick of hearing this she's crazy stuff. I've been evaluated so many times. I'm competent, sane, and I'm telling the truth. I'm one with ser- who seriously hates human life and would kill again. Her attorneys argued that she was not competent, but a court-appointed panel of psychiatrists agreed that she was. Hmm. But Eileen was assessed using the psychopathy checklist, where she scored a 32 out of 40. Uh, The checklist has 20 items on it, and it lists antisocial and interpersonal behaviors and they score you could score like a zero one or a two on each question and then they count them up Hmm. um a pro typical psychopath would receive a max score of 40 when somebody who doesn't have those would get usually a score of zero score of 30 or above qualifies a person for a diagnosis of psychopathy People with no criminal backgrounds normally score around a five. Many non-psychopathic criminal offenders score around a 22. So if you're just a mean son of a bitch, hmm. you're 22. That's interesting. So um, can I talk about this? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. I'm not trying to steal the show. Go for it. I just have a lot of shit to say. Do your thing. In 2002, Lee started accusing people of poisoning her food. With dirt, saliva, and urine. She said she overheard conversations of prison workers trying to get me so pushed over the brink that she'd wind up committing suicide. Before her execution, um, she was saying that they were look, people were looking to rape her. So she complained about strip searches, her tight handcuffing, door kicking, too many window checks, low water pressure, mildew on her mattress, and catcalling. Like, hey, baby, you look good in those orange jumpsuits. (laughs) Lee threatened to boycott showers and food trays when certain officers were on duty. Um, And one of her last 
interview, she complained of torture at BCI, and she said that she was using sonic pressure, or they were using sonic pressure to crush her head. Jesus. Um, she said that she had to wash off all of her food because they were poisoning it, and they, she said that their goal was to make her appear insane or to drive her there. So some people, you can look at this from two spectrums. We know that the government does some shady ass shit sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like sonic pressure, like we talked about in Diet Love Pass, could be a thing that they use. Yeah. So she really could be experiencing these things. Or it could be paranoia and the fact that she's been on death row for 10 years and she's just losing her shit. Yeah, I think that's more likely the case. Because, I mean, it's like, what do you, you have zero hope. Like, if you have six death sentences, like, what are you supposed to do? Right. I mean, I don't know, though. At the same time, it's like, okay, well, you got six death sentences. What's the point of keeping her on on for 10 years? Yeah, but they do that all the time with people who have death sentences. I it's know. just like, it's, I don't know why it's such a long process. If somebody gets the death sentence, they should be immediately. Well, I know that the reason why they don't sometimes, though, is in case new evidence comes up, they could acquit them. But in yeah, this but case, you know, them, right. Like, yeah, it's like. But she also, and it's not in our notes, that's why I wanted to talk about this. So she also claims that the police knew that she was killing these people. And that they they covered up some of her earlier crimes because they wanted her to continue killing people. Just bad people, basically. Yes, like a Dexter type situation. Yeah. So she's like, I she she, which is makes sense. She's like, I'm no career serial killer. I don't know how to cover my tracks or do anything like that. I was sloppy as hell. And they would come in and they would you know, remove evidence so I wouldn't get caught. So she would be responsible for cleaning up the streets because they couldn't touch these guys. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense, but it's like, I know, but then you look at her and she has her fucking crazy ass eyes and you're like, I don't know what to do. Who do I believe? She looks real crazy. She does. In her last interview, she stated, you sabotaged my ass. Society and the cops in the system. A raped woman got executed and was used for books and movies and shit. Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. And so this, I have this picture and we can post it. The guy on the left, she's talking during this documentary about how they're using sonic pressure and everything like that. And he's trying so hard to just keep a straight face, but you can see his eyes are just like, this bitch is crazy. Mm-hmm. And she's laughing in the picture, so it's... She is very roller coaster emotions, very yeah. much. I think she just, her whole upbringing was, she's kind of a product of her environment. Where it's she like never she, had a chance. Yeah, exactly. I mean, never. So she was executed October 9th, 2002 at 9.47 a.m. by lethal injection in Florida. She was the 56th murderer executed in the U.S. in 2002, 805th murderer executed in the U.S. since 1976, the 10th female murderer executed in the U.S. since 1976, the second murderer executed in Florida in 2002, the 53rd murderer executed in Florida since 1976, and the second female murderer executed in Florida since 1976. To be honest, those numbers, like with the female murderer... That there were 10 executed in the U.S. in 1970, since 1976. That's kind of high. Do you, I mean, I don't, we don't really hear much about Other, female yeah. serial killers unless it's like a, a lust thing, like they shoot their husband and their lover or something. She's definitely the most hope, high profile. Yeah. I don't, I, I could not name another one. No. So Elizabeth Bathory, but that was way before. Way before, yeah. <laughs> Her ladyship. Yeah. But I, I could not name another one. No. We'll have to look that up. And yeah, see, we'll have to see who the other are. ones. Yeah. Her final meal, um, she declined the tr- traditional last meal, which could have been anything she wanted, under $20, but instead was given a cup of coffee. That surprises me. I never knew there was like a dollar limit. Yeah, that's not a lot. No, because if you think about, like, other serial killers we've heard about, like John Wayne Gacy with his KFC chicken and, like, his smorgasbord of food, 
that had to have been a bucket of chicken nowadays is $20. Yeah. That's, I, yeah, I never realized there was, maybe that was after a certain date. They're like, this shit's getting out of control. Right. Like, we need to reel this in. <laughs> um, her final words. Her final words were, I would just like to say I'm sailing back with the rock, and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus June 6th, like the movie. Big mothership, and I'll be back. And all, I'll be back. Um, her body was cremated, and her ashes were given to her childhood friend, Don Botkins, to spread her ashes beneath a tree in Michigan where she was born. Hmm. In one of the pieces of the documentary, she basically was like, it doesn't matter anyway because all you people are going to die in 2019 when the big meteor hits and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just looking at it now in 2020 like, uh-huh. Some people really believe in all of that. Yeah. Uh, so we've kind of peppered it in along while we were talking. Um, but there were two documentaries that were made about Eileen. Nick Broomfield, he's the filmmaker that interviewed her during her trial and her time on death row. So he spent a lot of time with her. Normally, whenever we see these serial killers, you don't get as many firsthand interviews with them. It's more after the fact and just storytelling. But this is straight up interviewing Eileen, which I really enjoyed watching that because you never get the other side. She's crazy. She is. Um, You can find them on YouTube. And there's a lot of stories out there, you know, um, on TV. They made a bunch of, you know, Discovery Channel. All that stuff's got stuff stuff on her. Um, so the two documentaries Nick made were in 1992. It was Eileen Warnos, The Selling of a Serial Killer. And in 2003, they made Eileen, Life and Death of a Serial Killer. And then in 2003, I think they, they made that documentary to kind of hype up the movie Monster with Charlize Theron. Mm-hmm. Damn. She looks so different. She nailed that look. Mm-hmm. I, Have you ever watched that movie? Yeah, it's good. She's very good. Yeah. And Christina Ricci is Tyra, right? Yeah. 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 Um, it is a good movie. I recommend it. It's screwed up. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, what do you expect? So that is Eileen Warnos. Pretty wild. Yes. That's one of those things where, uh, again, it's like she never really had a chance. She was kind of screwed by society from the beginning. And you feel you feel bad. Like, and, and it's hard because now we're talking about it in 2020 and all this happened so long ago. But like in the movie Monster, you sometimes have to remember what you saw that was just a fictional thing. Mm-hmm. And what actually happened, because in Monster, you know, you see that the guy did really rape her, that Mallory guy. Right. And then you see a couple murders after that. There was like a priest that came to try to literally help her and she shot him. And I don't I, that's not tr- true. It was for cinematic adventure. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's you feel you go through different emotional stages where you feel really bad for her and then she's a monster and then you go back to feeling really bad for her. And and I I am sad for her that nobody really was there for her except for the person who was making her documentary. I mean, yeah. they had kind of a weird ass friendship. But again, he's getting something out of her. Yeah. It's not just for friendship. Right. It's for his I benefit. do I do feel like he did care about her in a weird way. And he, you know, she was so emotional, but he would definitely stick to his guns. If she said something five minutes ago that was contradicting what she was saying then, he would call her out on it. Hmm. So I definitely recommend that. It's an interesting life. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make it okay, but it's, I don't know if it's just because I'm like, a male, but it's like you almost sympathize with her because it's like if those people really were doing those things, it's like I wouldn't, and I would not, like I would I would do the same thing with somebody who's trying to do that to me. Yeah, it's like it's it's hard to victimize her whenever she was the victim. But then you see all of the other incidents before the killing with her rage and her arrests with you yeah, know throwing a cue ball. It's yeah. right. So she's she probably angry. Problems, yeah. Yeah. And that's just kind of lit the match. Yeah. 
So um, to cite our sources, I went to wiki, Britannica.com, crimeandinvestigation.co.uk, clarkprosecutor.org. That website's pretty cool. That's where we got all of the information about the death row and, like, the 56th murderer executed. So it had, you know, her final meal, final words. That was a pretty cool website. Uh, Medium.com and chicagotribune.com. So what... How are all you out there feeling about Eileen Warnos? Do you feel that it was more she was bred in this terrible environment and she was going to do bad things? Or do you feel like she was trying to protect herself? I can see it either way. Yeah, it's yeah, tough. I would like to hear what you guys think about it. Yeah, it's, I'm definitely torn because yeah. killing people is not a, not okay. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a weird catch twenty two. And and the good point was made about all the people that she saw, and she just murdered seven of them. Well, right. it sounds bad when she says, "Well, I just killed seven of them." <laughs> well, yeah, but that's still seven people that, that you seven snuffed people she out. sees in a week. Yeah, it's like, yeah. So I don't know. It's a very interesting life she led, and I don't know what Tyra is doing now. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Um, but even like when she was on death row, Lee was all about Tyra, and I feel bad. But you know, yeah, it's one of those things where it's just I don't know. You're kind of set up to fail. And those people, like the the lawyer and that Arlene lady, mm-hmm. they are bad people. Yeah. Preying on somebody who is having a rough go. You should be ashamed of yourself. Okay. Anything else you got to say? I don't think so. All right. Well, we will be back next Monday. Same bat time. Same bat channel. (laughs) Yep. All right. See you all next week. See you.